So I've started with a lot of tummy time on my chest. I'm lying in bed in the morning, letting him coo and bob his head. Important that his arms are a little bit forward over my breasts and he lies with a nice soft place where he can bob his head and crash and kiss the top of his head. And I tickle the back and encourage a little bit of extension and lifting up through his back. Let him look up and see me smiling and talking to him. Kirsty is a physiotherapist who works with newborns and is mum to four-week-old Matthew. We talk about the importance of tummy time and how to make it easier for our little ones. Kirsty also shares a bit about her mental health journey, how she started to feel overwhelmed after the birth of Matthew, and she sought a bit of help. We go on to talk about swaddling and how to make sure that it ticks all the boxes developmentally. And Kirsty asks that all-too-common question about whether she's spoiling her little one if she carries him all the time. So stay tuned as we explore the life of a mom of three through the eyes of Kirsty. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by Parent Sense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Hello, mums and dads. It is so good, as always, to have you back again. This is our weekly podcast. Sense by Meg Fora, where we just really have a look at all the sense around early parenting through the first year of life. And I am loving our chats with real moms. We explore the weekly highs and lows of parenthood. And as you know, each week I'm joined by a parent and I share my years of experience as an OT and the author of eight parenting books. And the moms shares the reality of what it's like to actually parent a very little baby. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had our very first session with Kirsty, and I've asked Kirsty if we can try and touch base with her every couple of weeks or at least once a month. Kirsty, by way of background, is a physiotherapist specialized in neonates, in very little babies. She works in a neonatal ICU in Cape Town, South Africa. And her and I have referred babies to each other over the years many times. And so Kirsty had twins two years ago and now has had a third baby. And this little one, little Matthew, must be almost a month old now, Kirsty. Yes, that's right. A month and two days. Precious boy. So I'm sure that things are going really well, although I can imagine that it must be quite an upheaval having three little ones. And you've also obviously gone through that stage where we came out of the honeymoon period. I think when we last spoke, he was still in the honeymoon period straight after birth, where most babies are very settled, kind of sleeping from one, one feed to the next. At a month old, have you started to experience that he's a little bit less settled than he was before? Definitely. So two things I noticed, which I wasn't as aware of with my twins. The one is that he started to get quite fractious in the evening. At about top of five, six o'clock, he starts his squawks and then he wants to do a big cluster feed. And it's perfect timing, I'm being sarcastic, for the twins because that's exactly when they need me most to finish off dinner, go through the bath routine, read stories and put to bed. So I get into a bit of a pickle. <laughs> yeah, no, that is, it is a very, very rough stage. And have you got support at that time or are you totally on your own? Andrew comes home from work round about then, but the boys are so excited to see him that it winds them up a little bit further. So we figured <laughs> yes. out a way that I do the 
the feeding of the twins, basically walking around the kitchen with a baby latched to my boob while I try and feed them as well and pop them in the bath, sort out bath. And then as it comes time for stories and the last phase of the settling, Andrew comes in and does very quiet time with them. So we found a way. You have found a way. Yeah, no, it really is a juggle. And I mean, every parent and every baby is different, but you do actually have to divide and conquer at that time of day. Somebody has to do the older babies and and somebody the little ones. And so what does your evening look like with Matthew at the moment? I mean, how unsettled is he and and how much, you know, how are you managing that time of day? And when does the fussing kind of start and, and what do you do with it? So it's definitely around about 5.36. It seems to be on the clock each day. And I'm starting to just take a little bit more awareness into his sensory world and looking at what he's being exposed to in the day. And I find that if he's had a very busy day or we've been out, for example, to the beach or we've gone on a a big outing, particularly in the afternoon, then that fussiness is a little more strong-willed on his part. Yeah. (laughs) And he seems still quite to be quite easy. As long as he's on the boob, then he'll, he'll stop his fussing. But I am trying to train him, well, give him other options besides just the boob. Mm. So I'm starting to swaddle him a little bit more at certain times of the day, let him get used to that feeling of of swaddling. Normally, I just swaddled at night when it was his big sleep. Mm. But now I'm giving him other options during the day to have that calm time. I'm also being aware of the lighting and the sound that he's been exposed to. And if my gut says, this is really quite stimulating, then I'm trying to find a way to take a step back. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I think what happens in those early days is that they are very overwhelmed by the sensory stimulation. And I know that you know this, Kirsty, I'm going to share it as well with the mums, that their little sensory systems are just not ready for the insult that comes from all the senses kind of after they're born. I think that the reason why the first two weeks are so calm is that they've had so much proprioception and deep pressure in utero that they almost have this like amazing hangover of deep, you know, kind of deep proprioception that puts them into this very, very calm space. And so they, they generally kind of well, well regulated. And then that self-regulation that needs to develop in the first three months kind of starts to starts to show the cracks and they start to become very overstimulated. So it is things like specifically visual stimulation. And I think often as a mom, I can remember very well putting my kids underneath um, mobiles and, and, you know, and really trying to stimulate them as much as possible. In fact, you and I spoke about visual stimulation when we last spoke. And so parents actually really end up stimulating their little ones a lot on the visual, on the visual front. And that contributes hugely to overstimulation in the, in the late part of the afternoon. What does work, which you have obviously found, is swaddling because swaddling reenacts that womb world, that deep pressure that they had in utero, they now can have, in fact, they can have it all their hours or even waking hours, as long as they're getting some time to stretch their legs out and as long as we are curling up their legs in the swaddle. So and that's probably something we can actually talk about because one of the things mm-hmm. that a lot of moms actually ask me about is, is swaddling okay for hips specifically? Do you know anything about that or would you like me to share a little bit? Oh, well, from my side, I remember telling my moms that the best hips in the world are African mama's babies because they go onto mama's backs and their legs are bent up and wide. And that really helps form those hip joints. And our worst hips in the world are Eskimos because they get swaddled into the little papooses with their legs nice and straight. So really important to tuck those legs in. And Meg, I just want to say that your swaddle in particular, the baby sense one that, that you brought out, has got just the right amount of elasticity. It's not the yeah. only one, the other ones yeah. that have elasticity, but that's just a factor you really need to have. The baby needs to be able to push a little bit about and then be able to let the legs come back in again. 
Absolutely. So yes, definitely tuck yeah. the legs in. I think that's for how you designed it. That is absolutely. And so just to explain that a little bit more. So when babies are born, their acetabulum, which is the part of their hip, uh, the hip side of their, of their hip joint, the, the pelvis side of the hip joint is quite flat. And the head of the femur needs to carve out a hole for itself, like a really nice round um, cave, actually, almost for itself. And that happens with babies moving their legs, you know, in, in all different directions and specifically not being dead straight because when our legs are dead straight, they then don't actually get to carve those, that little acetabulum. And so that's a very, very important thing that babies actually do have their hips up. Now, there are a couple of ways to do that. One is to obviously have them lying free because babies' legs will be pulled up anyway because that's what physiological flexion does. Another way is to have them, as you say, in a carrier, but it must be a carrier that actually puts their hips into a slightly more, not right, not necessarily completely right angle, but definitely more of an angle. And there's some lovely carriers that do that actually you know, your your pouch carriers. And I see little Matthew's on you at the moment because I can see you on Zoom and he is in a little pouch carrier. So his his hips are probably out to the side. Another one that I love, Kirsty, is the snuggle root carrier, which also posi- positions them in this kind of you know upright position, but in soft fabric, almost like wrapped fabric and with their hips out. And then as you say, African mamas who pop their babies on their backs have their legs going straight out to the side. So that's also great. So definitely the, those positions. And then when you are swaddling, very important to actually swaddle those hips up, curled up like they were in physiological flexion and not dead straight. And in that way, we can protect the hip joints. And I think it's the value of swaddling so massive. And so this question around, we hear it, that physios have said, don't swaddle your babies at all because you want to carve the acetabulum or you want to develop those hip joints. And actually there is a way to do it and still have the swaddling. One thing, just a comment of little Matty, I seem to be nailing this wearing your baby to the extreme that it's a bit difficult to put him down. Yeah. He just wants to be on me yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And I think from my point of view, you know, the first six weeks you can wear them as much as you want, but it does make me worry a little bit that I'm, I'm struggling to put them down even for five minutes. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a, such a great topic because that's another, you know, mums hear so much conflicting stuff all the way along from the swaddling that we've just spoken about. And now, of course, to this where they will have a granny or an auntie, well-meaning granny or auntie say to them, don't carry your baby all the time. You're going to spoil them and you're going to make a rod for your own back and you're never going to be able to put them down. I don't agree with that at this age at all. And, and I'll explain to you why. At this age, there's two critical factors that actually can summarize everything other than nutrition that Matty needs right now. And the one is engagement and the other one is sensory care. Those, it's just That's all it is about right now. It's just about the senses and about emotions. It's not about anything else. And you can imagine that carrying your baby on your chest, whether you're wearing them naked as you used to and when you did kangaroo mother care or whether it is actually carrying them in a carrier, gives them both of that. It gives them emotional contact because we, we are a whole lot more attuned to our babies when they're right up against our face because we can't get away from them. And it gives them sensory input with a deep pressure proprioception, specifically on their tummy, the sound of our voice and our heartbeat as their head's up against our chest. And then of course the vestibular, the movement and that vestibular sense is critically important for gross motor skills actually, and amongst other things. So right now at this age, 
you're ticking the two most important boxes, engagement and sensory. So then the question is, what about in four weeks' time? Are we going to be able to actually put Matty down? So what we know about little babies is they don't really have long-term expectations or actually memory or even associations when they're very little. Um, he actually right now probably doesn't even, rec- he does recognize you, but it, he doesn't he doesn't really prefer you to anyone else, although he's quite soon he is going to. And that's, and that's a sign that actually they don't really have long-term memory. You know, it's kind of if, if you were feeding him, I mean, if you were bottle feeding, if you were feeding or a nanny was feeding him or dad or granny, he, he probably really wouldn't gauge too much of a difference. Or at least he wouldn't show a preference. But in eight weeks time, so when he's 12 weeks old, he will show a very significant pre- preference because he's developed associations. And so it takes time for those associations to develop. And so that's why at this stage, I, I say to moms, please don't worry about habits at all. Just meet the emotional and sensory needs. Those are the two most important things. And then as we work towards 12 weeks, and I know you and I will hopefully speak again around, at least around that time, probably sooner, we start to say, right, aim high. So go gold standard, which is put baby down and then pick them up to sue them if they need it. And so it becomes a more gradual process. But right now, the priority is the engagement and the sensory. Yeah. Thanks, me. Yeah. And I'm sure that's something that resonates with you because I know how, you know, how attuned you've been to your kids' emotional lives as well as to their sensory worlds. Yes. And I think it also really helps me from a mental health point of view and bonding. It's been such a, a beautiful natural process this time. I've really enjoyed it. And I definitely think that physical contact with him has aided that. Yeah. And there's a lot of research on that, that, you know, that a little bit of touch and other people can't see you right now, but you just reach down while you've been carrying him on your chest and stroked his head. And just that little bit of stroking, there's, uh, there's an evidence that shows that when we stroke our babies and when we massage them and we, when we touch them, that releases oxytocin for you and weirdly actually also for them as well. And oxytocin is our falling in love hormone. It's, the, it's a hormone, it's an incredible hormone. It's a hormone that um, actually is released in massive doses when we have an orgasm and during birth and during breastfeeding. So it really is that 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 love, that you know, love and attachment and human kind of engagement hormone. It's very, very important. In fact, there was a time a couple of years ago where there was a fad to actually take oxytocin as a pill, if you can believe it. So <laughs> luckily you don't need to do that. You just need to stroke Matty's head. But for other moms that, you know, you really do, you do get your oxytocin in big doses when you're carrying and uh, carrying and wearing your baby. So it is very, very important. And you spoke a little bit about bonding there. How are you finding that this time around? And, and are you finding challenges having three? And yeah, how's that going? Definitely much, much easier this time. I think it's the physical contact. I think it was being present with him for those first two weeks. I think it's the breastfeeding that's going successfully. I'm managing to exclusively breastfeed, which I wasn't able to do. There's just so many things in my favor towards mm. helping the bonding. I also, I'd, I had some postnatal depression with the twins mm-hmm. and it took me a little while to acknowledge it and reach out for help. And although it was quite early this time, I did have the feeling at about two weeks of that slipping and falling and mm. reached out for help again and I feel significantly better on it. So I, yeah, I just want to encourage any moms who are concerned about their mental health to talk about it, to reach out. It's, it's not a taboo. It's very, very common mm-hmm. and it makes a significant difference if you can get the help you need sooner rather than later. This episode is brought to you by ParentSense, your parenting app. As an avid user, I can safely say that ParentSense is the all-in-one baby development app that helps mums and dads keep track of their baby's routines. 
and really takes the guesswork out of parenting in the first year of a baby's life. May, tell us what makes ParentSense so special. So ParentSense is my love child. I developed it because I felt that parents needed a little manual in their pocket, and that's what it is. It gives parents routines for their baby's day. They're flexible routines for sleep and for feeding. And then it also gives them a play activity for every single day, 365 for the first year of life, as well as recipes and meal plans. So it really, unlike most other apps, it covers absolutely every aspect of early parenting. There, you heard it straight from the expert. Download ParentSense app now from your app store. Sign up for a lifetime subscription on the website, parentsense.app, and take 50% off when you use the discount code parentpod at checkout. Take advantage of this incredible offer. It's exclusive to podcast listeners. Download the app now and take the guesswork out of parenting. Yeah, so that postnatal depression is an absolutely fascinating topic. I mean, first of all, it's, it's way more prevalent than we would imagine. And actually, in a more severe level, it's as much as 20% of, of moms. So one in five moms will ha- will experience something that's maybe not entirely debilitating, but certainly is would actually classify as postnatal depression. And then of the other four out of the five moms, you've got a good chunk who are experiencing perinatal anxiety. And actually, when we look at postnatal depression, which is what it used to be called, well, it is still called, but what it should be called and what we've started to speak about it more as is perinatal distress. And so let's just break that down. So postnatal means after birth, perinatal means from in pregnancy around the time of birth and afterwards. So the first change to the name is that it's perinatal. So for some moms, you actually experience the the emotions, the negative emotions in pregnancy already. And there is a definite correlation between antenatal depression, or in other words, depression or anxiety before birth and postnatal depression. So for any moms who are listening who experienced anxiety or depression in pregnancy, it is a flag that you need to just watch yourself. So that's the first thing. So you've got perinatal, and then you've got the word distress as opposed to depression. And distress is a much better word because actually for many moms, it's not depression. It's not a feeling of, I can't get up in the morning. It's a feeling of, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? You know, and you know, this weight of responsibility. And actually the hallmark feature is in fact anxiety. And so it's just very, you know, kind of there's that rush of anxiety. It is very, very common. Most moms, 90% of moms will experience what are called baby blues. I had baby blues from about, I think it was about a week to about three weeks. And it, it usually came in the evening at about seven o'clock where I would, my whole vision would go, my mental vision would go black. Like I could not see how I was going to get through the night and do tomorrow. So, you know, really had like this sense of absolute dread for what was coming. And it was, of course, the night feeds and the sleeplessness. And where I was quite fortunate, my mum was staying with me at the time. This was with my firstborn and she knew it was coming because I would articulate it. So like you said, reaching out is very important. Important. And she would say, just go to bed early and don't think about tomorrow. We'll, we'll, tomorrow will be another day. And, you know, and of course, by the time I woke up in the morning, it, I was fine again, but it would come again the following evening. So, yeah, I mean, a couple of things there. Look out for the hallmark features of being anxiety, not necessarily depression. Number two, reaching out is so critically important. And number three, it must not have that stigma. And I think you're right. And particularly, I mean, Kirstie, I know you have mentioned in your in our last podcast that you're A-type. I am too. When you're A-type, like you don't want to fail, you know, you, you and you feel like you're failing when you're reaching out and saying, I know this is the most glorious time of my life, supposedly, but actually I'm just not feeling it. Mm, absolutely. So how, so who did you reach out to? Did you speak to a psychologist or to, um, phone a, a helpline or just to your partner? I mean, how, what did you do? Well, uh, 
I actually I reached out to my gynae who I became very close with over the um, years. And yeah, I just told her I'm going to be watching out for it. And then I sent her a message. I said, I've watched out for it and I have that feeling again. And I think I need some help. And she was absolutely on board with actually a, a very, very low dose of medication. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm not one to take medicines very often, but I did see what a significant difference it made last time. Mm. So I was perhaps a little bit early on this one, but I don't regret it because mm. my, my full experience is really positive as a result. Yeah. And, and that's what's so important is catching it early. So you kind of mm. spoken, I mean, there are three levels of support that you get and that mums can look for. The, the one is to just talk about it to your network, your your mummy friends and your partner. So that would be kind of on the light side, you know, j- j- just articulating it. The next one would be to work, to reach out for counseling and just to have somebody to talk to. And, you know, I think they're just amazing psychologists out there. And there's one actually in Cape Town called Linda Lewis, who I've always raved about. And she wrote a book on postnatal depression called When Blessings Don't Count. And I love that title because, you know, it, whenever you, you know, every mum mm. of a newborn, somebody says to you, you know, count your blessings. Well, yes, I'm counting my blessings, but actually right now they don't count because I'm feeling so low, you know. So reaching out to somebody who is an expert in postnatal depression is great. And then of course, those light doses of medication are just amazing. And there's some medications that actually assist with breast milk as well, as, as well as making you feel a little bit better. And it's not forever, you know, and then I think that's what is important. Mums realize it's not forever, but it gets you through a stage where you really maybe do need it. And I think one of my regrets is that I didn't take it with my firstborn because I had a l- really a little bit of, you know, feeling it was mainly anxiety rather than depression that maybe could have been dealt with better with medication. But, you know, you know, I kind of pushed through it. it was in the days of, you know, it was a while ago. So it was in the days of, you know, stiff upper lip, lip I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> so taboo. Mm. And the taboo around it, you know, and I think what's also hard is that social media does us no mm. favors because everybody else's birth journey and, early baby journey is so rosy, you know, because social media does that. And beautiful. Exactly. <laughs> you only post beautiful stuff. Beautiful photos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it can be quite gritty. Yeah. yeah. And Kirsty, one other thing that I would love to touch on is what's going on for Matty developmentally and, and what, what are you noticing as a physio? Because I know that you look at him with your mummy eyes completely in love, but you also look at him with your physio eyes. So what have you noticed over the last two weeks that you'd love to share with us? And what have you been doing in terms of development and stimulation? So some good things and some interesting things. So the good thing is definitely starting to make more of a routine, putting him in prone. So I and, really enjoy and prone just for articulation tummy time. Tummy time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I've started with a lot of tummy time on my chest. I'm lying in bed in the morning, letting him coo and bob his head. Important that his arms are a little bit forward over my breasts and he lies with a nice soft place where he can bob his head and crash mm. and kiss the top of his head. And I tickle the back and encourage a little bit of extension and lifting up through his back. Let him look up and see me smiling and talking to him. So tummy time on my chest is going really well. Tummy time over my legs. So I sit in a chair or on the couch and I just like let him go over my legs. I put a little bit of an angle so that I, one leg is a little bit higher and the other leg lower so that he's not quite completely horizontal. I think horizontal is still pretty hard for him to lift his head. And mm. so giving that ergonomic advantage of having his shoulders a little higher than his hips lets him bump around. He bobs onto his hands, has a quick suck, carries on bobbing, looking around, checking what the twins are doing, maybe a little toy in front of him. 
And so that's also going well on my legs. I've started once or twice doing tummy time actually with him on the couch and doing a rolled up towel and lying that underneath his, his armpits with his elbows forward. And then I sit on the floor in front of him and again, coo as he lifts and bobs his head around. Like so that's this. going really well, tummy time. Yeah. Tom, tell us why you think it's important. And I love the fact that you've graded it for us. You've made it, it easier for Matty for now, and it'll get hard as he goes along. Why is tummy time so important from the from the perspective of a physio? So you want to develop his neck control and you want to, him to have the opportunity to meet his milestones when he needs to. And one of the first areas that he has the ability to master is active extension. So extension, lifting up against gravity is called active extension. And that's exactly what tummy time is giving him the opportunity to work on. It's strengthening the back of his neck. And as he gets a bit stronger, it strengthens a little bit down his spine and allows him also to look at the world from a different angle. Mm-hmm. So that that extension will will translate into being able to sit at the right time, being able to tolerate time on his tummy, so time on all fours, which will enable him to crawl at the right time. So we definitely find, I think one of the interesting factors is we always say back to sleep. And the Mm -hmm. back to sleep program is definitely important from a SIDS point of view. But I have noticed that people are less likely to give their babies tummy time. And the two results are slight delay in that gross motor development of sitting and crawling and perhaps also a flattening of the head, which we can talk about another time. So that's another reason for tummy time to be encouraged. Yeah, it really, really is important. And I think, you know, I I get so many requests from moms saying my baby hates tummy time, but very often what they're doing is they're putting them straight onto the mat on the floor and expecting them to be okay at this age. And I'm very interested that at four weeks, you still feel that Matty needs needs a a little bit of help, gravity to be decreased so that he's at an incline or something under his chest. And so, yeah, that's, I think it's, I think taking that expectation and explaining to moms that it's not just flat on the ground that they have to tolerate. Definitely. There, he would hate it if I put him flat. Yeah. He wouldn't have his center of breath. If you put him flat, the size of his head is a fifth of the size of his body. Yeah. And an adult, the size of their head is an eighth of the size of their body. So if you pop him down flat, he's not only got a master lifting his head against gravity, but he's yeah. even at an ergonomic disadvantage because the mm-hmm. center of gravity has shifted so much forward closer to his head. Yeah. And so that little bit of grading, that's keeping his shoulders above his hips, and getting him confident, rather rather get him to lift up for a few seconds more with the graded um, elevation of his shoulders, rather than the tiny milliseconds he would do on his tummy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. That's great, great advice. Thank you. Yeah. And what else have you noticed developmentally? Another good one is I do a little bit of eye tracking. So getting a mobile that goes around in a circle, perhaps playing a song. I, I nest him. I keep him in a nested position. So I take a towel, roll it right up, and I pop his head on a little bit of a pillow. So his head is a little bit up, his back um, is a little bit curved, and his legs and arms are nested with the little towel that wraps around him like a sausage. And in that nested position, he still feels safe and content. And then above him, I hang a mobile and let him practice moving his eyes now in a circle. The first two weeks, we did side to side and up and down, and now we're doing around and about. And he does it really well. I love that. So first of all, I absolutely love the nest image that you've created. So for other mums, just to go back to that. So if you take a long enough towel and you roll it into like a roll, a circle, and into a roll, and then you create a donut out of that. So if mums can picture that little kind of donut image, and then you 
little, literally plunk your baby into the middle of the donut hole so that their head is slightly lifted and then their feet are right, their, their hips are, their hips are actually lying on the bottom part of the donut so that it actually kind of just pushes up their, their hips almost so that you get them in a curved position. And that is an amazing position for little ones to actually see, to, to control their, their, their body so that they can actually focus in on using their eyes. It's also actually a great position for sleep. You touched on the word SIDS just now, Kirsty, and for moms who are not familiar with the word, it means sudden, sudden infant death syndrome or cot death, which is obviously the most horrific thing that could happen, you know, in any mum's mind. And w- along with the back to sleep campaign, which is that babies sleep more safely on their back, there also came an instruction to sleep with nothing in the crib. So absolutely dead flat on their back. So completely flat, nothing in there with them. And I think that's been quite hard because little ones actually really do need to feel quite contained. And so what I did do with my little ones was, was have some sort of insert that helped to create a little bit more of a nest for them. So commercial products now that are out there are Docketot or Sleepyhead, um, the Nurture One Cushion. So are you using any of those devices or are you keeping him flat on his back in the cot? At night. Yeah. At night I swaddle him and Great. he starts off in his bed right next to me in this little carry cot thing mm. for the first few hours. And then when he's coming for his feeds, he really struggles to burp this little guy. Mm. And I end up having to sort of sit upright with him for a little while. So after his big feed around one, I'm struggling a bit. And then he just comes into the bed with me and sleeps Mm. next to me, but he is nested still in his swaddle rather than actual nest. Yeah. 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 And I think swaddles could do a great job with, of that, of actually keeping him in that curled up position as well. Yes. Yeah. So those are the things that I think we're doing well with. The thing that's a bit of a challenge, which I'm finding surprising is the baby massage. I'm such an advocate of baby massage from a developmental point of view. It helps with proprioception, body awareness, digestion, and muscle tone, engaging, so many benefits of this baby massage. And this little guy is having none of it. So I'm struggling with him. He doesn't want to lie down and have his legs stretched out. And I just think he's just not ready for it. The twins were, they enjoyed it. Yeah. But this little guy, he's got these flyaway arms that are really quite bothersome to him. Yeah. And I think he needs another week or two. So I'm going to yeah. have to wait, wait a little bit, yeah. be a bit more patient and revisit the massage later. Yeah. What's quite nice at this age is to either do only legs or only hands. I mean, only feet, only feet and only hands. So in other words, not legs. And so what you can do is you can swaddle his top part of his body. So his hands are still towards the midline because that's where he's feeling contained, you know, hands to midline and then unswaddle his feet and just do the pressure points on the base of his feet. Mm-hmm. So just um, literally start with just a little bit of pressure on his heel and a little bit of pressure at the top of his toe pads, so underneath his toes. And then when he's got used to that, you can start to do the sweeping, which is going up from the heel up to the top of his, of, of his toes, that, that kind of motion and just do that for three minutes and then see how he takes to that because often what we find with the little ones who are more resistant to kind of maybe being touched you know some little ones don't like light touch and massage although we're looking at a lot of proprioception there is some light touch involved there and it takes them time to be able to tolerate that nicely but starting at their further extremities and it's only hands or only feet and just starting with pressure sometimes gets them going and then you can progress a little bit later. Absolutely. That's such a good idea. I haven't really been doing that. What I have been doing is containment holds. So resting my hand beneath his feet 
yes. and resting my hand on the top of his head yes. and giving a little bit of pressure towards each hand. Yeah, I love and that. That's, that seems to calm yeah. him very much. But I really like your ideas of, of yeah. getting those feet. I've just tried it now and he's third. <laughs> so maybe I'll try later. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I'll try it later. So, I mean, what's what's quite interesting about what you've just spoken about is that progression for massage. So your very first point of almost massage is, is still touch. So for those moms who have got little ones who don't want to be massaged, still touch. And that's what you're talking about when you put a hand on the top of his head, hand on his feet, and almost push towards each other. That's still a contained touch. Next step is extremities, just deep pressure. And then from there, you can actually move on to something like Indian milking, which is that long stretching out of the legs. But that's, you know, comes with a whole lot of other things because there's proprioception, there's light touch, there's all sorts of stuff that happens then. And so it does make them, you know, they have to progress towards it. But I think that's lovely that you've spoken. And in fact, almost the theme for me of today's chat has been grading slowly and working at little one's pace. So we spoke about grading slowly when you talk about tummy time. So, you know, and then we also talk about grading slowly when you talk about massage. And I think for mums, you know, the, the people see this gold standard of massaging or tummy time or whatever it is. And they think, oh, I've got to be doing that. But actually little ones take time, you know, and some little ones take a little longer than others. And that's, that's absolutely fine. And it's working at your baby's pace it's really important super thanks thank you Kirsty. it has been wonderful chatting i can't believe our time is up already it's flown by but it's just always wonderful to touch base with you and, and hear about early mothering through the eyes of a, a really a baby expert yourself and and to see how you're managing it and, and what you're learning as you go along so lovely to connect thanks lovely to speak to you again thanks Kirsty, and we'll chat again soon Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.